Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. If you have a lot of potential and you recognize it and others see it, well, pride is the natural result. The problem is God won't use the proud and the arrogant. Oh, he ultimately will, but not until he humbles each and every one. What happens if I don't humble myself? Well, the Lord will take care of that then, you see. As we continue to move through the Gospel of Matthew, we now find ourselves in chapter 18 and beginning a new study in which Pastor Sam is entitled Humility. Now herein we read some pretty eye-opening warnings from our Lord about not entering the kingdom of heaven and having a millstone about our necks while we drown in the depths of the sea and being cast into everlasting fire. So let's listen up. Matthew 18, we're looking at the first 14 verses, the title of our message, Humility. Humility turns out to be one of life's rarest qualities. And here's why. The moment I begin to feel like I'm truly humble, well, I've lost whatever brought me to that place and point. You see, humility is actually a, a settled issue within our hearts that recognizes that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But at the same time, well, in Christ Jesus, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So humility or meekness, they're really not weakness. It's really not poor self-esteem. That's really sickness for us to say, well, I'm nobody and I'm nothing and I'll never amount to anything. That's not true. You're someone very important in God's plan and in His estimation, so much so, I'm convinced that if you had been the only one who would respond, He'd still have sent His only Son to pay the penalty for your sin. So, humility is just an accurate assessment of who I am outside of Jesus or who I am now that I am living in and for Jesus and He is living in and through me. The question that arises in all of this came about as a result of a discussion the disciples were having. And again, the other gospel accounts help us greatly. Here in Matthew 18, verse 1, that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The picture develops more like this, though, if you get all three accounts. They were having a discussion on the road as they went back to town. And, and uh, as they're discussing among themselves, as they often did, which of them might be the greatest in the kingdom of God, Jesus kind of picks up on what's going on and he approaches them. Hey, what are you fellas talking about? And, and I get the picture of this is what happens. That The guy's like, shh, shh, here he comes. You know, uh, what are you guys talking about? Oh, oh, nothing, Lord. You know, not just the regular stuff, you know. We're not talking about who'd be the greatest here now, are we? And, and here's the thing. They've just been on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John with Jesus in glory. See Moses and Elijah. This wonderful, glorious experience. And no doubt they were busting a few buttons at that privileged position that they had been brought up to. 
But as I've shared in the past, and the more I see it, and the more I read it, and the more I examine the scriptures, the more convinced I am, these guys were special, but they were special ed. And that's why they had to be right there with Jesus. And so they're thinking, hey, maybe it's me, Peter, you know, I mean, I'm right out front. Always got something to say, whether it's smart or not. I'm a born leader. And you know, that was true of Peter, an absolute born leader. Peter's problem, of course, is he was a prideful man. And if you have a lot of potential and you recognize it and others see it, well, pride is the natural result. The problem is God won't use the proud and the arrogant. Oh, he ultimately will, but not until he humbles each and every one. And so what happens is we're given some very good instruction. I pass it along to you when it comes to pride and humility. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. What happens if I don't humble myself? Well, the Lord will take care of that then, you see. He'll make sure I'm humbled either way because he's chosen me to use me. And he's chosen you to use you. And if pride's your problem, you're in good company. James and John, a bit arrogant themselves. They have mom go ask, I don't know why mom, but mom, would you ask Jesus if we could sit on his right hand and his left hand when he comes into the kingdom? What a just amazing request. We'd like the places of greatest honor, of greatest significance, of greatest prominence. We want everyone to see us on your right hand and your left. So she comes and he says, I don't think you really know what you're asking. It wouldn't be all that long after that event that she would see Jesus nailed to a cross. She was there, James and John's mom. And she would see Jesus and she'd see a thief on this side and a thief on that side. And, and I'm thinking, she was thinking, what was I asking? What was I thinking, Lord, if this is the way you come into your kingdom? Oh, Lord, forgive me. And I'm so grateful that in my stupidity and especially in my youth, I, I asked for so many things that would have been damaging to me. And, and well, they would have hindered what God wanted to do. And we can thank him for the no's. Or are you kidding? No way. That's never going to happen. Well, the bottom line is pride is, well, it's sort of common to man. Even, even those of us who by nature feel a little insecure or inferior or lesser than others, we can still find plenty to boast and brag about. I remember a story of a young man that came home from school after a particularly good day. And, and he's like, got his chest down. He's like, Mom, how many truly great men do you think there are in the world? Her answer wisely shared, uh, not as many as you think or one less than you think, son. And uh, truly, that, that's uh, what maybe some of us need to hear today. Well, the question then is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And as Jesus often does, he gives them an answer that takes them much further and much deeper than what they were actually into. I'm thinking you'd see a couple of the disciples kind of roll in their eyes like, man, I told you not to ask that. Because what he has to say, in essence, says, hey, listen, your focus is all wrong. You're thinking about your place in the kingdom. If I were you, I'd make sure you're even going to have a, 
the potential for the kingdom, a, an opportunity to be in the kingdom. Read along with me. Verse 2 says, Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Before we get to those entrance requirements, he calls a child to him, and then he uses the child as an example to them. Now, I think this is telling because I see Jesus still calling children to himself. And I see Jesus using children, and I really see that in this fellowship. We have something called the Yes Team. It's youth excited and serving, and it's mainly sixth graders and down. So young kids, relatively, and, and uh, there are 80 of them serving the Lord at this point. In some way, we're aware of and connected to. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't more serving. Those are the ones we have on a roster that we know are actively serving the Lord at Calvary Chico. And what I love about that is they're understanding what, well, it's oh so important, that they're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church right now. You see, Jesus calls children to him. They can and must be born again. And when they have that spiritual experience, the same one he's going to tell us adults have to have, well, he begins to gift and bless and use and empower and anoint those children for his ministry and his service. And so he calls a child to him, he sets the child in the midst, he begins to use that child. And if you want to learn some things about servanthood, you want to learn some things about the awe of God, you want to just be with someone who prays like God's really there and really going to answer, hang out with kids. Because, man, they, they talk to God like he's in the room. And, and here's the good news, he's in the room where two or three are gathered. There he is in the midst. The difference with us and them is we're like, well, I don't see him. I don't feel him. I don't sense him. And they don't care. They're just like, hey, he says he's here. Lord, welcome. Let's hang, you know. And, and, and so, in any case, he moves now to the entrance requirements for the kingdom. And he says, really, the critical issue, issue here isn't position in the kingdom, but admission to the kingdom, unless you are converted. Oh, those words, I don't want to pass by them. The first words in red, if you have a red letter Bible, assuredly I say to you, if it's old King James, yours says, verily, verily. Some of your translations will say, truly, truly. And while I'm convinced everything Jesus said was important, whenever he says, assuredly I say to you, He's drawing our attention to the fact that he thinks this is really important. So he's saying, pay close attention, parents especially, Sunday school teachers, pay close attention, big brothers, big sisters. Uh, listen, assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now they were childish, but they weren't childlike. And Jesus is saying, I don't want the childishness, I want the childlikeness. That simple trust and dependence and hunger that you see in every child. 
You know, children by nature are trusting. They really are. It's why, you, you know, did you ever play that game where they have you lean back and people are supposed to catch you, you're supposed to fall? Did you ever play with somebody who didn't catch you? You know, you never play again. No matter how much they convince you, you can trust me. You'll only play once if they fail you. But children by nature are trusting because God has made them that way. And, and they learn not to trust because, hey, let's face it, they're taken advantage of, often neglected, often misused, often disappointed. And so children by nature, though, trusting, dependent. A kid knows when he gets up. He has no way to earn a living or buy the groceries or provide for shelter for himself. Little children just expect their parents to do that. And, and here's the good news. He's saying, I want you to be that way. I want you to trust me so much that if I say lean back, you will, or let go, you will. And, and if I say, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Well, that's what the Lord's saying to some of us today. And then, of course, we will. Hungry. Never seen a child that wasn't hungry unless he was sick. And Peter, of course, being one of these in the inner circle and at this particular teaching session, he latches on to all this and later says, Hey, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Unless you're converted. This is very much like Jesus' words to Nicodemus when he says, Unless you, Nick, are born again, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says that which is born of flesh is flesh. Hey, we've all accomplished that goal. We're here in the flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not, Jesus says, that I say you must be born again. He's really saying the same thing here. Unless you are converted, unless you have a new life, spiritual life, and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. The entrance requirements then, conversion and change. Conversion, the new birth, born again of His Spirit. Change, a new mindset, a childlike trust and dependence. We cease striving for position or power or status or influence. All of those are of the world. Those are, well, what we were taught growing up. If you're going to make something of yourself, if you're going to do anything with your life, you've got to achieve. And Jesus is going to say, listen, in the kingdom of God, it's completely the opposite. If you want to make something of yourself, become the servant of all. Humble yourself and become as a child, the last, the least, a humble servant. Well, whoever humbles himself, he says, as this little child, verse 4, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So here are the exaltation requirements. He's just saying it's humility. And it is a bit of a paradox. Again, I heard a story of a kid that he was just a little full of himself and, and uh, had trouble ever really getting this, but, but he was convinced he was the, the best batter in the whole world. Maybe you've heard. He, he's there practicing and he says, I'm the, the greatest batter in the world. And he throws the ball up and he takes a swing 
misses it completely. He isn't phased at all. I'm the greatest batter in the world. Even Babe Ruth missed some time. And so he throws it up. He tries again. I'm the greatest batter in the world. Misses again. One more time he goes, no sweat. Two strikes. I'm the greatest batter in the world. He throws the ball up. He takes a big swing. He misses again. Puzzled look on his face. He thinks it through. I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. And some of us are like that. We're so resilient that even when we should be humbled, we're, we're not. We're just so, no, this is who I am and this is what I am. And if that's you, take my word for it. Go the easy way. Humble yourself so he won't have to. You will be exalted. And the path of exaltation, as much of a paradox as it seems to us, is the path of humility and meekness. Now, Jesus was the only truly meek man who walked on this planet, the only perfectly humble man. How do we know that? Because he was always occupied with the needs of others. And that's how you can really recognize humility. You see, humility doesn't say, I'm no good to anybody or I can't do anything. No, humility says, I'm, I'm here to focus on and make a difference for other people. If you're married... And you're a guy, you should set your heart to make your wife the most loved and most secure woman on the planet. And I guarantee you, all that stuff of submission and stuff that God tells her to do, it will be a no-brainer. It'll be no problem. What woman wouldn't submit to a guy that spent all his time trying to make her life the best it could be? The problem is most of us don't live or think that way. We're about something else. But in any case... He's saying, here's what's required. Entrance to the kingdom, conversion and change. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Paul will later write to the Philippian church as he describes Jesus humbling himself, who was in the form of God and he emptied himself and became a man. And then he died a criminal's death. He died, suffered, shed his blood. Because, well, he came to, to serve and to suffer and to die for the sin of mankind. No greater act of submission and humility ever recorded in all of history. Jesus was truly humble. Jesus was truly meek. So he could say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. You want to get past striving and struggling and trying to accomplish and you just humble yourself in his sight and say, Lord, whatever you want to do with me. If I never get any recognition of men, that's okay, Lord. I don't care. I just want a blessing to others and provide for to watch out for the widows and orphans. And then more than that, he says, and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. To, to keep yourself unspotted from the world. So Jesus, we see, takes things personally. He'll later say, when you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So when you minister to someone, when you humble yourself and put yourself in the place of a servant, hey, listen, there are always going to be needs around you. There is no Lack of opportunity to serve. Our problem is serving doesn't come natural. 
It's supernatural to put yourself in that position, to consider others' needs greater than yours, to care for others more than you care for yourself. Now he begins to give us a series of warnings and um, picks up at verse 6 with warnings and woes. And again, parents, big brothers, sisters, teachers, coaches, anybody in a position where you are an example to others and you're in a position to teach by example and by your words, pay close attention. Whoever causes, verse 6, one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Because we're not all that familiar with millstones, well, that can kind of go by us. But drowned, it doesn't matter where. It just is supposed to repulse you. It's supposed to horrify you. What a horrific death to grasp for air and get water. And what he's saying is, hey, if we, by example or through our teaching, by our lifestyle, cause one of those little ones to sin, he's saying, man, you're better off drowned, better off dead. Why? Because... We're here to instruct and encourage and be an example to those little ones. And the kind of example we are and the kind of teaching we give, not just when we're doing it formally, but when they're just watching and listening, Jesus is going to hold us accountable for what those kids see from us and hear from us and, and learn from us. So whoever causes a little one to stumble or to sin... He says, man, better a millstone, better a drowning. That's the seriousness, not just of sinning ourselves, but putting ourselves in a position where others go down that same road. Then he says, woe to the world, verse 7, because of the offense, or because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Now, what he's doing is he's warning us against worldliness. Woe to the world. God loves the world, but the world doesn't love the Lord. And God has a plan for the world, and the world by and large rejects God and his plan. And so he's saying, woe to the world. Because offenses will come, and they're going to come a lot of times, most of the time, from the outside. It's a terrifying thing to really read the papers and and consider how different life is now than it was in the 50s. I, I, I was alive in the 50s. I know that seems, how could that be? So young and yet alive in the 50s. But but when when I was like in grammar school, kids walked to school. And we walked sometimes a mile to school. You know the story. In the snow, uphill both ways. You've all heard it. But but, but the truth is, we walked or took buses or, or those things. I remember being like 10 or 12 years old, taking buses, going downtown in St. Louis, Missouri, or in Chicago, going down to hang out in the streets of Chicago. Listen, no one in their right mind would let their little 5-year-old or 10-year-old today walk around Chico or get on a bus and go somewhere on their own. Why? Because times have so changed, because the world is so much more blatantly wicked and blatantly dangerous. 
When we first moved to Chico, and it's almost 20 years, people used to go to Bidwell Park at night and walk around. Now, there are still a few people doing it, but they're mostly there looking for someone to mug. And so things have changed, truly, and not for the better. But he's saying, woe to the world. And so if you're a worldly guy, you know, and you're like, I'm of the world and I'm cool and I'm hip. And he's saying, woe to you. Wake up. Because the world, hey, it's temporal and he's going to destroy it and all the people in it. First Peter chapter 5 verses 6 and 7 say, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Casting our cares on God is truly a wonderful act of humility in several ways. Trusting God with important cares says that you're not insisting on your way with those cares and that you'll be content with however God chooses to handle them. Also, it shows that we recognize his superiority over us as we set aside trying to fix everything with the power of our own flesh and we let him deal with it all. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.